1: Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yak for all your kayak fishing accessory needs. Go to yakgadget.com. Pelican
0: cases, coolers, and lighting. Go to pelican.com. The 153 Bait Company for all your hard and soft bait needs.
1: Go to the 153anglers.com. Now let's get this show started.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to the, the real, real down. down. Hey, how dare you talk <laughs> over me? <laughs> What's up, dude? For everybody that's listening and not watching, you probably recognize that voice. We got Mr. Brian Schiller in the house. What up? Going on, dude. What's been up to?
1: You know, just uh living life in the woods. Um uh, now that hunting season is almost over i'm getting amped up about next year's tournament season
2: heck yeah i'm actually gonna take a swing at it again next year right
1: yeah so hopefully uh i'll be a a guest not a host next season like every show you got so that's that's my goal
2: i mean i'll bring you on it won't be for (laughs) anything but you can be a guest all you want to (laughs) be no, I'm Brian, sure you're right. Brian's good. I think he'll, he might surprise some folks. I think he'll we'll cash see. a few checks next year.
1: We'll see. We'll see. He uh, might just which...
2: be getting his entry feedback. But <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's better uh, to do uh, it.
1: Hey, I'd rather, I'd rather that than not get a check at all. So I'm good with Amen. that. I, I'm good with 10th, 10th to like fifth place finishes, you know?
2: Consistency. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't have to be the best. I just can't be the worst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, all right, for everybody tuning in, uh, I planned on taking the break a little early, but uh, the Tennessee Bass Nation, old Steve Owens, threw an event down there uh, to kick off their thing on Del Hollow on December 4th. Uh, we got the winners from that event. Uh, one of them has a really interesting story that I know of on how he caught them, and he's been a guest multiple times. And then we have uh, another guest coming in that I'm excited to talk about because he took that other person's money so without any further ado (laughs) mr tom kazmirsky took the win from our buddy adam riser who usually just dominates us on del hollow but still second place i mean that's amazing it's nothing to shake a stick at at all what's up guys
3: hey good evening good evening fellas happy to be here talking with you
2: heck yeah well uh tom will let you go first uh Adam's been on with us a few times, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, how you got into kayak fishing.
4: Uh, Jamie Coza at the dugout drug me in it, <laughs> kicking and <my> screaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, you know, I'm a local to that area. grew up in Kennesaw, so uh, I'm kind of known as one of the dugout guys where I live, so I had uh, sold my my glass, my my glitter boat, as I know kayak call, guys call them now, but I sold it because of uh, life, just kids getting busy in sports and stuff. And uh, my kids are getting old enough now to where they don't like dad around as much. So uh, Jamie's like, you need to get one of these kayaks. Give this a run. And I'm like, no, sure, I'm game. I'll try anything once. Uh, so got into it that way and uh, – i really enjoy it i i like uh you know there's two aspects of kayak fishing ones you know where it's kind of a, a group of guys kind of hanging out fishing that part's cool uh similar to the in the glitter boat world but um the other cool thing is you know you're out there by yourself uh just kind of taking it all in uh, it's kind of a different competition um i used to always love partner tournaments because Know, two guys in the boat high five and catching and bash you know you it's kind of you got that you, know, you get to share it uh, in kayak world it's all on you so it's your decisions uh your gut feel uh you know it's just making all the right decisions and and when it comes together it's it feels pretty good you know it's something you, you did it by yourself so um for sure um, it's a it's a i, I enjoy it I, I love kayak fishing now.
2: What, what you know you put out great points for both do you have a favorite though or or if you don't have a favorite do you miss the boat side of it
5: you know uh
4: not really uh you know i was sitting around the dugout today talking with some of the guys that i boat fished with for years here on local lakes and um we were kind of talking about the boat scene um it's changed a lot uh at least here in Georgia. Um, you know, some of the best part of a boat tournament, which we don't get in kayak fishing. Um, it is something I miss a little maybe, uh, but the camaraderie at the boat ramp. So in a boat tournament, you got, you know, 50, 60, 70 boats showing up at a boat ramp. We're all razzing each other. You know, we're all, you know, making fun of each other. Somebody's got some funny story that happened with their kids, their wife, whatever, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, that was some of my favorite part of, you know, just the camaraderie at the boat ramp, knowing everybody and kind of catching up, right? Um, You know, then obviously when you put your boat in the water, I mean, one of my big things was if I didn't feel butterflies in my stomach when we're sitting there waiting to blast off, you know, I'll quit. Uh, But in kayak world, I get the same feeling. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sitting there in a kayak and, you know, somebody's counting down, you know, some of the ramps I've been out, one of the guys will count down or something or, say a prayer and i'm over there with my stomach and knots going man if i made the right decisions am i at the right (laughs) ramp you know you know things like that so uh but that's all part of the i mean that that anxiety to me is you know that's the the pump up the fun of the sport so um
2: that's why i'll die you know younger than most (laughs) that same reason
4: (laughs) if if i go i want to go in a kayak having a heart attack right at (laughs) blast
2: It'll be, I'll finally catch a double digit and I'll have a heart attack and not get to enjoy it. I just hope someone's near me that can just land it and say that they caught it. Take somebody spin. get to take that glory. You know, I'll just be floating around face down, but it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we got Adam Riser, too. He's, we, we've had Adam, I don't even know how many times we've had you on now, Adam. Uh, well, Handful, for
4: sure.
1: Yeah. Especially every Dale Hollow tournament. I think he yeah, right. have to have him He's out like there the on Dale his kayak, Hollow, dude. Like,
2: <laughs> he can either be on because he did good or he can give you a very technical breakdown of everything, which is a killer aspect that I love to have. only thing that would make this show better is I could have drew on here too. So him and drew could go back. Cause drew pulls facts and stats out of his butt all the time. He and does. I'm like, Oh, but, uh, I'm sure what,
1: that podcast would go about six hours. I'd mid-way. let it. I'd just
2: sit here too. <laughs> just staring at it. Oh. Probably wouldn't learn much, but, uh, Adam, for, for anybody who might be new to listening to Paddle and Finn that doesn't know who you are, tell everybody about yourself.
3: Yeah, my name is Adam Reiser. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and i uh, been an active participant in uh, the kayak tournaments for years now, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years between the club and the... And the national scene. And, um, I don't know, I guess it was sometime last year jumped into guiding a little bit. So I've been doing that, uh, in between tournament runs too. And, uh, that's just it. If I can find an excuse to get out there and catch bass out of a kayak, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's the, the, uh, the summary of, of what I'm into. I, I just like catch bass from a kayak. Simple as that.
2: Heck yeah. Love it's it. pretty good at it too. Well, um, since you are our resident Del Hollow expert, why don't you give everybody a breakdown of what this lake is, how it lays out?
3: Sure, um, it's it's you know most famous for being a, a smallmouth world record lake. That's where the the standing uh, world record smallmouth comes out of uh, a long while ago. It's a deep clear reservoir that splits Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, it's famed for its uh, smallmouth fishing, but due to the slot limit there, most boat tournaments will uh, uh, target largemouth. Um, but you can catch them, uh, both species there, really well. Uh, it's one of the most scenic lakes in the world. It's the number one houseboat lake in the world. So during the summer, it's uh, a big recreation lake, but you can still catch them then. Um, depending on what day of the week you ask me, i might tell you it's my favorite lake. I, I really do enjoy <laughs> it there. Um, the, uh, you can, uh, I kind of think of it as kind of like the babe, root, babe Ruth of lakes. You, you, you're going to have a lot of strikeouts there, especially outside of the, the winter, um but when you do hit it big there you seem to have a really big day i mean i can't tell you how many days where i've you know i'm not getting a bite not getting a bite then all of a sudden i just run into a, a cluster of fish and the, the both the large mouth and the small mouth mix together there often um so you just never know when you're going to just uh turn the corner there and run into a big group of fish and and, and have a great day and like i say as far as scenery goes you guys have been there you, you can uh, echo my sentiment it's, it's about as good as it gets for scenery as well so uh it's uh, any excuse i can get to get out the del hollow i'm, I'm, I'm gonna take it
2: yeah yeah it really is man we got to get a you know we've been there a few times paddling and finn you know as a whole and you know always have a great time and like you said the scenery is great but we got to dabble into that houseboat thing a little bit last year and you know that was you know we didn't even uh, leave dock with them but i can't I, i'm ready to hit the summer and have richard down there at eastport take us somewhere way off and just <laughs> leave us in that houseboat. it might sink because yeah. we enjoyed I was it way say, too that much that
1: might be dangerous
2: <laughs> my <laughs> my boss
1: my
3: boss a couple of years ago we did it on center hill but same thing mm-hmm. we, he was able to rent us one of those big houseboats and a and a pontoon and a few jet skis and hey i i get it i get the appeal of why it's so popular to do during the warm season. It's a lot of fun to get out there in the lake and, uh, you know, it's big, deep, open, clear water. So you can kind of ham it up out there on whatever watercraft you're on. And it makes for a good time. I, I totally get it.
5: Heck yeah.
2: Heck yeah. I mean, you gotta have something to take a break from fishing occasionally. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. He's like, yeah, no, <laughs> I did it for like 10 minutes and then yeah, small, breaks. A very, very yeah. small breaks. Very, very small breaks. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, either one of you can take this, tell us about what it's like fishing this, this particular Lake in December. Cause you know, for a lot of people, um, that don't take, you know, kayak fishing or tournament fishing too serious. You know, when you get towards the, the known winter months, that's when it like, you know, cuts off for a lot of people, but there were, you know, I think it was 97 people show up for this, uh, was it yeah 97 anglers showed up on you know first week of december for an event on del hollow so first off what was the weather like because i know the weather's been flip-flopping down here in alabama so what what did that lay out like i'll I'll go into
3: the weather and then i'll let tom take uh december in del hollow because he's got years and years and years of experience doing that um the weather leading up to it was a little bit unseasonably warm both the air temps and the water temps um i felt like a little bit behind schedule. Do you think, like, the lake was a little behind schedule for this time of year, Tom?
4: I, I definitely think so.
3: Um, well, like it was last
4: year too, a little bit even.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think I think so too. So that that was, I mean, you know, week before the tournament, I was out there messing around with Stevo. We were getting him on top water, you know. So the the, and, you know, one of the guys that almost won this tournament was getting them right? on top water. So uh, <laughs> wow. in December, you know, <laughs> that's um, crazy. Uh, so it, it was. In my opinion, if you were fishing this tournament and knew a little bit about Del Hollow, like you had to approach it with a little bit of an open mind because it definitely wasn't quite winter. Um, there was some winter like mode fish, but there was plenty of fish that weren't quite in winter mode e- e- either. So I, don't know, I guess we'll call that uh, a tra- transition time. So warm, unseasonably warm going into it. Um, but there was still definitely some like winter patterns that, that, that played out, but traditional December, Tom can tell you all about that. He's got a lot of time there during December.
2: Well, tell us all about it, man. Yeah.
4: Um, you know, I, I agree with Adam on the, you know, it seems like we're about a month, month behind on weather. Um, you know, and, and I saw schooling fish, uh, Thursday and Friday and, uh, you know, December, January, which is typically when I go to Del Hollow uh, and I don't understand people not wanting to fish in the winter because it's quiet, it's peaceful and good Lord, they group up and you can, some of the best days I've ever had in my life and the biggest fish I've caught in my life. have come in the months of December and January, Uh, especially for anybody who wants to catch a trophy spot. I mean, you know, that's, that's when you go and catch it. I mean, that's just, that's your best odds. Let's put it that way um but december on del hollow uh typically you know i would like to see water temperatures more around 50 or less degrees uh i think we were at 55 which was kind of getting close but the fish are doing a lot of things uh with those water temperatures like i said if i would have had top water i I probably would have thrown it a little bit uh just to see because i saw some activity that you know kind of it's a small mouth who knows man these they're, they're a little feeding machines, you know, Smallmouth oh,
2: small mouth on top water is always fun. So yeah, I can't,
4: imagine. I don't know how I was going to land it, but you know,
2: the bite would be fun.
4: Yeah. Um, <laughs> hard enough landing when I'm trying to stick a jig in his head, but, um, <laughs> you know, typically about now we're up there, you know, the trips I've made, uh, and I've, I've got a lot of history up there in the winter months. Uh, we go there primarily to float and fly fish uh I've, I've done a ton of that i did it in practice uh i caught some big fish in practice doing it um and i've caught a lot of big fish on a float and fly more so than any other lure i've thrown for smallmouth uh up there but you know it was funny when i was practicing i was around a lot of bass boats because there was three bass boat tournaments uh saturday there was two up the lake and then there was the uh the Billy Westmoreland, which is a smallmouth only tournament down the lake. Um, which I didn't, I don't know if I saw any of those guys, but uh, because they have to catch overs, you know, mm. and unlike us, they have to catch over 21 inches, which is it's a tough fish to catch. Um, I mean, that's that's a, that's a trophy smallmouth, you know, that's but a, I, that's
2: you a, know, that's definitely a way in you want to be at though, because right, know, if somebody right? came in, it's a kill, they did, <laughs> you
4: know, um. I think uh, that one of the guys that won it had like seven or eight pounds and that's one over and one under. So the under 16 inches, which, you know, call it, you know, two, two and a quarter pounds, maybe. So a tank that's over. A, yeah, that's a tank <laughs> over. right? Um, yeah. That, I mean, uh, but the, uh, the interesting thing was the bass boats that were around me, they had to be from the other tournaments. Uh, and I looked at the, the weights from those actually, you know, they, some of those guys posted them uh, Monday, and it took over 20 pounds of largemouth to win those tournaments. Nuts. Uh, and it was interesting because they were coming around me. You know, I was—I go up there to target smallmouth, uh, right or wrong. What it is that that lake has such an impressive population of both fish. Um, it has some of the healthiest largemouth I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and obviously, the smallmouth population is just flourishing, um, you know. So, but I had guys fishing grass in front of me in say fifteen to zero foot of water, with punching basically in bass boats, and I watched them rip largemouth out of it all day long. Um, and then I'm sitting out there in thirty foot of water, uh, fishing isolated structure, you know, on a flat trying to catch big smallmouth. Um but I was you know I was sitting there going the whole time I'm watching this because I've I've watched Adam catch a lot of large and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> Lord, I'm gonna get my head kicked in. I gotta get some bigger fish. Um you know because it well that water temperature just sets up. I mean fifty five degree water for a smallmouth to me in my mind, you know, and I'm I'm not a biologist, I don't know that species that well other than Del Hollow and a few trips in the Carolinas that I've done the fish for them. But, uh, I feel like 55 degree water to a small mouth is almost like, you know, that 60, 65 degree water for a large mouth. So, you know, that, I think that's why a lot of guys struggled. Um, you know, the, cause there was guys catching them in 55, 60 foot of water. Uh, so it was kind
2: of just open all over. Yeah. You could catch them yeah. just about however you wanted.
4: You could, the sure. problem, you know, the problem is, is, you know, that's, you know, when you show up to a lake, or at least when I show up to a lake, um, I'm hoping it's not like that. Obviously, I
2: you want I to want be the, that one or two things, and you want to be the only one that figures it out.
4: Yeah, well, that's that's the unicorn, right? But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but the, the reality is, is when they're when they're spread out like that, there's so many ways to catch them. Uh, you know, something. I mean, I didn't hear anybody really talking about it, but Del Hollow is an amazing jerkbait lake. Hmm. Um, it's known for it uh i mean i know locals up there that catch stud smallmouth mouth on jerk baits they talk about it all the time um you know and i didn't hear a single angler talking about a, a jerk bait bite anywhere you know and I, I i'm gonna bash on steve-o but the guy that loves to throw a jerk bait the only thing he loves more than a jerk bait i think is a chatter bait but um yeah uh,
2: i'm not sure he takes anything else with him to be honest maybe a topwater occasionally. Right, but... thank you so you know i told him I said, <laughs> Man, I
4: said why don't you just go sling a jerk bait all day and see what happens you know just go try it i mean you love the dang bait you got confidence in it you know i i personally felt like the, you know the lake set up in this particular time to if you had something you had a lot of confidence in and you, you worked at it you could have possibly made it happen um, and you know, that goes for a guy that wanted to fish shallow versus deep. Uh, I think Adam and I, you know, he and I have kind of talked a lot about different techniques and I love sitting there talking to Adam cause he's, like you said, he, he digs in, man. It's, he takes things to the next level, you know, other than just, well, I'm doing this and this, but it was because of this, 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 and this, you know, it's, um, I, I like that too. I, you know, I'm a firm believer in electronics. I like using them. Uh, And I try to figure out how to, you know, if I'm throwing something and I'm getting bit a little bit, I'll change up a little bit to try to see if I can get bit more. I do a lot of things to, you know, try to increase the percentages. But, um, you know, that typically the cold months up there, if that water temperature would get around 50 degrees, those fish will group, but those smallmouth will start to group better. Uh, They will quit roaming as much as what they're doing right now. And you can truly blister them. Uh, I mean, I've had, you know, 30, 50, 60 fish days up there religiously. Um,
2: that just like makes me know I suck. Like, I appreciate no. it. Like, <laughs> I'm sitting here no. like, God, you don't know what you're doing yet. <laughs> like, well,
4: you, know, <laughs> you know, No, it's not. You know, as good as Dale Hollow is, uh, the, I think the first time we showed up there, I zeroed, uh, and this was probably, this may have been 20 years ago now, or at least 15 um, and it was 10 of us and guys that knew what they were doing. We all zeroed hmm. and we came in like, Who's, whose idea was this? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're staying at Horse Creek and you know, we're sitting there in a cabin at night, you know, basically trying to drink our sorrows away because it was so bad. <laughs> uh, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, this lake's just like Lake Lanier. Screw this. I'm tying on a bunch of jigs. I'm going jig fishing. I'm going to fish ditches all day. And uh fortunately, that year, the water temperature was like 48, 47 degrees. And I just went dragging a jig from basically 30 foot to 60 foot. And I started catching. When I found them, it was lights out. The guy in the back of the boat, he's like, oh, my gosh, this is the best trip ever. You know, and I'm like, ah, this is how it should be, you know, in the winter wintertime. Um, so, I mean, that, that's typical of this time of year. But, I mean, I say that, but the last two years... I think last year the water temperature was like 58, 59 degrees. And then this year it's 55. They it were starting to get right. Um, you know, but it, it, those smallmouth, I mean, I've, I've been there once. I think the air temperatures were like eight degrees. And at night it was getting down in the negatives. Uh, the water temperature was 42 degrees. I, uh, I was convinced we were not going to catch a fish. Because, uh, I mean, here in spotted bass in largemouth country, and, like in Georgia, if that water temperature gets much below 47, even the spots get, I mean, they just bury up. It's near impossible to catch them. It, it sucks. Some of the toughest days of fishing you'll ever have uh, there.
2: Not for me, because I'm not going out when it's 8 degrees.
4: <laughs> See, I I tell people all the time, you're missing the boat, man. Wintertime fishing
2: <laughs> is I'll, I'll fish in the 20s. Yeah. I don't know if I could do 8. Not in the south, eight in the south sucks.
4: Like, I got some pictures of me in like a Russian hat that would uh, everybody would love. (laughs) It was cold, but uh, you know, that actual trip, I think we were the water temperature was like between 42 and 44. Uh, we had 10 guys up there, and after about a day, uh, I'm kind of known to throw a jig deep. I went and found a bunch of places just holding just wads of them. We were averaging per boat, 60 to 80 smallmouth a day. Jesus. Um, and it was stupid. I mean, I thought we were going to run out of baits. I mean, that's how, how crazy it was. Um, you know, it was man, it was awesome. Um, so, but you know, in these warmer temperatures, you know, I caught my fish. Uh, I caught my fish on a Kytec, Uh I said 4.8, but it's the 4-inch Kytec um I know the package I never read yeah. it more I just say oh that's the one but uh, I caught a lot of fish early on a four-inch kytec um and it's typical of these smallmouth uh you know that they, when they're roaming like they do they'll definitely pull up those first couple of hours of low light and uh munch. and if you can run into them you know unfortunately when they're scattered like that it's it's a little bit of luck um I mean you're hitting I'm hitting what I think are high percentage areas but. They could have, Now we're not going to this one. We're going over here today to eat, you know, but um, I just threw it. I threw that Tech. I threw it on a half-ounce head and uh, just kind of banging around on, on the rock piles. And I got on them quick, and, man, they were, I mean, it was just every cast for the first hour. Uh, that basically ended. felt like the bite had died. Uh, and I picked up a jig and went slinging a jig and it started out really good and for some reason I'm mean, like the area I was in and some of the other guys were saying it too um, You know and after looking at the moon phase and stuff. It should have been prime, but uh, I I'm gonna say like 1130 12 o'clock, which was almost a peak for that day a peak feeding time um It just died. I mean I quit getting bit. I was like Good lord, what's going on because you know, to me, smallmouth and largemouth, you can go by those feeding charts almost hundred percent. Like a spotted bass, man, they're just idiots. They're yeah, you know, they don't agree. They don't live anywhere, they just roam, they don't care, they eat when they run into it. But I've I've seen I mean, I've definitely seen it in largemouth, and you know, the experience that I have with smallmouth, they're definitely very tuned into that, those feeding times. And when I saw the day, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to wreck them today. This is going to be a great day. So, um, but, you know, that's pretty much what I did. I, I meant to go throw a fly, um, but, uh, you know, the floating fly is a low light deal. You got to, which we did have cloud cut. I was actually thinking, man, I could just go hit a couple of the steeper banks or some banks that are shaded and possibly still get a, a big pull down. Um, but I, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to die by the jig and, and I had to pedal about three miles. So I stayed, (laughs) stayed where I was. Well,
2: that's awesome. Um, Adam, I want to get your take on it because you were doing something from what I read completely different. So, you know, give us how you like kind of way Tom did, how you normally approach it. And then you know, when the weather and the temperatures are working like you've seen, and then like how it worked out for you this time.
6: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
3: Sure. Um, Leading up to the event, I don't know, about a week or week and a half prior, I went out there one day, met up with Steve Owens and uh, was on a good topwater bite. I actually had some some smallmouth. I'm pretty sure I had three on at once which would have been a first for me and they were literally ripping the hooks off of the topwater bait so I was like well this is a good sign and um I thought it was going to cool down too much for that to uh not be a factor come tournament day but as we were just discussing it stayed warm so I was thinking like man if I go with the smallmouth uh if I go for smallmouth over largemouth I was like I may just go all in on the top water, but like I said, Thomas Davis, um, only caught four fish that day. And if he would've caught a fifth one that he got them all out of basically the same group of fish. And I think we'd all agree if he would've got his fifth one, he would've won the tournament. So, um, I thought if nothing else, I was like, well, that's cool to know that like, I, you know, I'm, I may have, could have, uh, pursued that and been on, on a correct path. But, um, yeah, my, my plan was to practice Thursday, Friday and then tournament Saturday. So I practice on Thursday and I want to go ahead and check my largemouth spots where I won it last year. And I was like, I just want to see if those fish are there. I thought it might be a little premature for them to to be where, where they were. But I go there and I start graphing it on this on Thursday. And I don't really see much. So I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit early. And I go check around some other stuff and uh, come back to that that largemouth spot and um, I won it there cranking last year and I was able to crank up one. I was like, okay, maybe they're still here. I grabbed a little bit more and I thought I marked a few. So I was like, maybe they're here. It's just not quite as good as last year. And uh, on my way out on Thursday, before I was done, I dropped a a blade bait down on some that were on the bottom where I was like, man, I I couldn't get a bit cranking, but let's just see if these are bass. And immediately caught one on the blade bait. So I was like, okay, may not be able to crank them up, but at least they're here. And when when I caught that one, it brought up a whole school of them and they were all the right size and a bunch of them. So I was like, all right, well, they're, they are here. It may not be quite as good, but when I say not quite as good, I mean there's still probably a couple hundred fish off of a, a quarter mile stretch. So, um, plenty of stuff for me to mess with. So, I was gonna stay the night at Del Hollow Thursday night, Friday night, and then fish Saturday, practicing Thursday and Friday. I was like, you know what? I'm all in on these largemouth um, instead of wasting gas money and, and stay money. I was like, I'm just gonna drive home Thursday night take it easy, re-rig on Friday, and go all in on those largemouth. And that's what I did. I, I just uh, I re-rigged a lot of stuff that was uh, only for those largemouth. It was, I tied up a whole bunch of different rods because I wasn't sure what was, how I was going to catch them, but I knew they were there, so I needed to be prepared to uh, just fish open-minded. And um, got there on Saturday, and uh, exactly like Tom said, the major that day was basically the last three hours of the tournament. So i was prepared to have the bite window being towards the end of the day and figured i could just do what i can up until then it was the complete opposite the first uh like the the my bite died sometime in the 9 a.m hour but it was fast and furious like early on so it went against what the the saloon or calendar was saying that day but uh yeah i couldn't get any cranking went went to the blade bait and that's what i caught a hundred percent of my fish on probably caught 25 or 30 large mouth um probably had half a dozen we'll call it half a dozen schools of largemouth on this stretch so i would just work on one school of fish and when i was done with those i'd slide over to the other one And i just went back and forth on those half a dozen schools all day but like i said past nine or 9 30 it was near impossible to get a bite i tried a few other things but the blade bait had to be my thing and the, the I thought it was fun because I put it out there that I was using a three foot ice fishing rod. And the reason for that was uh, <laughs> last year I was in my Bonafide and the transducer in the Bonafide sits basically if I extend my feet out in my kayak, the transducer is at the end of my feet. So if I take a six and a half foot rod and I'm vertical fishing, video game fishing, that transducer in my, where my lure is is basically staying in the cone on those. I fish right beside... Uh, Tom on Shatig, he's seen how how I did that on uh, with a Bonafide last year, and then I got my Hobie this year. And the transducer is basically right where my butt is; it's right behind me, and so it, trying to get a lure staying still in that cone, with the, not just drifting in the cone, but staying in the cone, was impossible. And so I was like, "What do I?" This is going back to you know January, February of this year. So I was like, maybe I should just buy a ice fishing rod and. <laughs> I was like, maybe that'll keep it in the cone better. So I ordered a $30 ice fishing rod, you know, off the internet and never used them before. I've never ice fished. I don't know anything about that. I don't even know what power to use or like how to fight or anything. So I just took one of my standard spinning reels and shoved it on the, uh, the three foot ice fishing rod. And sure enough, it kept it right in that cone just fine. So come the time for this Del hollow tournament, I was like, well, it looks like the best way to get after these fish is to just drop on them and they didn't want a Demicky rig, so I just went to a blade bait. You could just, whether you jigged it off the bottom or jigged it above them, you know, if they were active, you jig it above them. And if they were inactive, you had to lift it off the bottom. But that was my day. Just, it was, silly. I probably looked silly out there, like a little bitty rod jigging it up and down.
2: But I, was... I wish, did you did you record the tournament? Because I, know you've been I, I playing recorded that. that. No,
3: I recorded the whole thing, and then when I got home to check my footage, I have four minutes of footage of me launching at the ramp, and that's it. So I lost the Go footage, the pilot, or, else yeah, you wanted it, or else I probably would have already put it up there, like a goofy <laughs> image of me like trying to fight a fat largemouth on a three-foot rod out so of that- a kayak. That
2: was my next question: Was what does a three foot ice rod look like with a nineteen inch, possibly three three and a half pound largemouth on it? I mean, it's, it's I'm not ice pretty, but he's an ice fisherman. It's, it's not. It's gonna it was, be like it, it was
3: the nice. best scenario because these largemouth were so thick, and these specific largemouth were already full on in winter mode. The ones that were belly to the bottom had mud stuck to them; were pale white, like oh, they wow. had already been wintering for a while. Oh, um, wow. But luckily, they were so like in winter mode, therefore lethargic, that they didn't fight too much. I mean, yeah, they put a little bit of drag, but, you know, I'm, it's Del Hollow. It's just deep, wide open water. So, you know, I didn't have to worry about them bearing up in anything. So I just, you know, let them pull a little bit of a drag and uh, just made sure since, you know, using a blade bait's notorious for not having a high landing ratio, um, big piece of metal with treble hooks. And so um, I just made it a point that when I saw – that they were about to come to the surface to have that net ready i may only get one good scoop or one good shot to to land before you know one head shake may be the demise of that fish but um that's why i feel okay with the second place finish because i fish clean i landed every fish that i that i needed to land that day so you know tom absolutely won this one fair and square it's not like i had that one uh uh, fall on my lap or anything like that but yeah kind of i wasn't uh, going to this tournament thinking i was going to use the ice rod for it but it, it made sense to come tournament day and it uh it actually worked quite well my well,
1: man what you got to do way. next time is trade in the hummingbird for a Vexlar. i mean that's <laughs> that uh, if that you're going to vertical ice jig that's the way to do it
3: <laughs> i do I, I when i when i do this or when i video game fish it's the closest thing to using like the, the forward facing stuff because i'll use the amplitude scope the a scope
5: yeah, and yeah. It,
3: it pretty much looks like it, you're getting a live read off of that and that makes all the difference in the world having that versus just like you know standard 2d you i get by with that but um, that am a scope lets me uh I, that's why i was picky about keeping that lure in, in the cone because i could read the mood of these fish and see like yeah. you know uh, sometimes keeping that lure dead still versus the tiniest little movement makes it makes the difference between a bite or not so that a scope allowed me to uh really feel out the mood of those fish and, and, and get a few extra bites i think
1: it's the same in ice fishing man like it, it i mean sure, i know really you know not ice fish but it, it really is like jimmy saw it firsthand last or earlier this year i mean you can definitely tell the mood like especially through the ice because if they're coming shooting up off the bottom exactly like you know they're ready to chomp you know i'll get bit you have times too where you can see those fish come up and they look at it and they go down when you move that bait, but, or, or just like a slight little quiver of it, you know, sometimes that ignites them to uh chomp down a bit. So it's I, fun. I, I, isn't relate, it? I think it's fine. Dude. Ice so, something I
2: had like is you could chase them with it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like ice you, fishing you get in that lull where you didn't get one and you'd have one come and he'd start to fade away and I just drop it down on top of them. They just turn around and grab it. Yeah, And it's, it's crazy to me. Like he's talking about the Vexlar for anybody that doesn't know what a Vexlar is. It's like as old school as it gets for electronics, you've just got colored lines going back and forth the, when they turn red and yellow on the bottom, that's fish. You can watch your bait fall down and then you can watch the little red dots, follow it up. (laughs) And it's the most freaking awesome thing in the world. And then I think about guys like Adam doing this on, you're still running hummingbird stuff, aren't you? Yeah yeah and then guys live scope and i 100 now understand the fun of that because if you can get on them like that oh yeah. man and like and then you did it on an ice rod like i just can't <laughs> i've seen a what a, a, kayak, bluegill, it's, a bluegill a bluegill does though. to an ice rod yeah no it is genius
5: <laughs>
1: it, it, it's it's very clever man like that's that's what i say is thinking outside of the box you know just to. You, you knew you had a mission and you, you knew a, you had a bite and you knew you had to utilize your electronics for that. So it was like, how do I capitalize on this situation? And, you know, I think a lot of people wouldn't would have realized that, you know, that's huge.
3: It, it's just a it's a it's a vertical bite where I've noticed it on Delhalla more than anything. Like I'll see it on some of those herring legs with the spots, too. But um, you have to keep it dead steel like it, it, it just has to be still some time for, for you to get that bite or to before you can fool that fish and then mess with it. So uh, th- being able to do that and not have a pendulum, even just a, a foot or two, if I was using a standard rod, there'd still be a little bit of a pendulum with that lure. That can make all the difference in the world. I've seen that difference. Um, I've seen guys succeed in tournaments on Del where others haven't because of a subtlety like that when that Demiki rig bites on and uh it, it, I just felt it was worth the while. You know, I, when I bought that ice cream, I was like, what am I doing? I was like, is this, is this like, <laughs> is this silly? Like what, you know, should, am I wasting my money and time and doing this? But, you know,
2: and now he's the, bought it a nice rod yeah, box. I'm, you I'm know.
3: ordering one right now. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> I, hey, I had a buddy today
3: that was messaging me and I think he ordered one tonight too, because of that. So hey, me that Amazon you know, like, leaf. <laughs> yeah, right. It's
4: funny you talk about it because it, uh, the two, um, you know, and I, I mean, I've, I was only about a year and a half in the kayak fishing. Hadn't really done a winter in a kayak yet, but uh, when Adam and I were on Chateau last year, we were we were close to each other and um, I, we were kind of doing a very similar fishing, you know, of video game fishing uh, for, for spotted bass. And they were not wanting to bite. Uh, you know, every once in a while you get them fired up and you catch them pretty good. But I was sitting there with a spinning rod basically almost straight up and down because I knew the transducer sitting under my dang butt, you know, and I'm like, God dog it, man. I, you know, I can't, you know, and I got panoptics and everything else. I mean, I could have backed off of them and done things like that, but it is something about putting it right on top of their head. And, uh, you know, when you get ultra cold or, or just, I mean, it, it's funny you talk about the clay bellies cause I've, I've caught spots on Kiwi, out of 80 foot of water with clay caked on their bellies and everybody's like what are you talking about and i'm like that's crazy i'm telling you man and and it's you know you you have to zoom in on your scope and you're looking you know on your whatever graph you're using but you know then you use your zoom so you can see the bottom and all you're seeing is like little bumps and uh you know there, there's a lot of times you look at those bumps and maybe they're not fish but uh i've also had it produce a lot in those those conditions of ultra cold or or fish that have just gone into that mode of you know their winter haunt of you know it's almost like a hibernation yeah i realized uh, that i need to pay you two guys but in drop yeah. shovel, we used to use uh, yeah we used to we would take basically the stiffest worm we could find and cut it down to three inches uh so it wouldn't have any movement when it's just sitting there and you think about like robo worms and things like that you know they're like a spaghetti noodle you know right. uh, but in that scenario where those fish just really aren't aggressive they're not really probably looking to even eat you know they're they're just in winter mode uh we would take like the hardest worm we could find and cut them into little three inch sections and put them on a drop shot and then our our leader would be you know six inches off the bottom with a half ounce weight just sitting there holding it, you know, dead still trying not to move it. And they would just load up on it. It was,
2: it was crazy. Speaking just because of, you know, Domeki rig and blade bait, both, I've heard over and over again about people talking about, you know, like you and Adam are saying perfectly still, perfectly still. Do you have any like, like tricks or tips for that? Like, do you kind of rest it in your lap so that you know you're still, or do you try to try to like hold it in that perfect to keep it countering the motion of the boat? What are do you? One like... one
3: little tip that I've learned that I've still try to practice and it's easier said than done, but I've seen it make a difference. Is uh if you know if you're dropping all day, whether it's with a drop shot or dumiki ray or whatever, if you're doing vertical fishing and it's like up down up down, line twist becomes a, a, a an issue, and uh, some it's kind of unavoidable. And you know, using nicer line will help help your case, but it's pretty common for me if that's what I'm doing most of the day. I have to straighten out that line twist but the reason i I bring that to attention is um i know damiki rig fishing um not only do you need to hold it still like going up and down vertically in the in the water column if you have line twist and your bait is spinning Mm. um that can deter a bite and i've seen that deter a bite on del hollow so just having your lure not twist one way or the other um can can make a big difference too but if you think about it there's probably not too many shad just you know spiraling on an axis you know and and one thing of water but you know uh i just ordered some dameki road cooks the other day that have a swivel um as part of like the line tie thing to hopefully avoid that because if you do it all day like you're gonna have some line twists but that's one thing that i try to practice that uh i've seen my buddies have good days on the same day that i'm on the water with them i think it's because of that line twist thing that's an extra like specific detail but i do think it matters
2: 100 percent. what about you tom you got any tricks
5: uh
4: you know i, I do i do think lime twist are a big deal um you know i haven't been i've thrown the blade bait a bunch uh i i you know kind of like adam I, when they're lethargic it works out uh, small mouth and blade baits for me don't work out because there's jokers come straight to the top and sling the dang thing. Uh, I, I've almost sworn them off unless I'm just trying to goof off. Um, you know, uh, but the Demicky rig is not something I've really done a lot of. Uh, I kind of do a, my version of a Demicky rig, um, and people laugh at me all the time, but. I drop shot with one ounce and half ounce weights, uh, even, even in the summertime, uh, you know, people are like, Oh my gosh, why you're in 15 foot of water. I'm like, you know, back before live scope, uh, you know, if you saw a fish on the graph, I wanted to put it on his head as quick as possible. Uh, that, that was, that's always been my theory. You know, guys are buying quarter ounce weights and stuff like that, letting it down to them. And I'm like, no, i mean i'm looking at the fish i just want to get there um and you start fishing in you know 50 60 foot of water or whatever uh i i don't even own a quarter ounce drop shot weight um you hey. know, like, yeah like i said everything i have is you know half ounce or heavier uh i prefer to use a half that I, I think i can get most done with it but i will go up to an ounce if you know kayak's different for me i've I mean good lord stabilizing the boat and not moving all over the dang place and trying to stay in position it's a it's a booger um but the you know the, i guess the thing i do with drop shots you know when it gets in the the cool months and i know those fish are holding tight to the bottom like that i mean i literally go to you know a three to four maybe five inch leader off my weight i mean i i get it tight to the bottom um mm-hmm. I always feel like I can pull it up into them if I need, you know, if that fish happens to pop across my screen that's active, I can pull it up to them. Just spin it, yeah. But uh, I I keep it tight. Drop
2: drop shot's the only vertical technique I've ever really, I mean, I've, you know, jigged a spoon and stuff like that. Yeah. In the slow aspect of what we're talking about. I've always thought, you know, heavier drop shot weights. I've done a little search and hadn't found any. So I'd love to know like who you're using, but correct me if I'm wrong. It gets it down there fast, but it's also when being still is so critical. I mean, oh, that's, yeah, older it's holding place. it still. Yeah. And uh, I, I learned a short leader trick from listening to the, the you know, uh, the tactical bassing guys, like they, they were big on, you know, cold water, real short leader. And like, I was always taught uh, from uh, an old man that, you know, also believed that was he ties the leader as long as whatever bait he's using as like a rule of thumb. So like if you use uh, a four inch, four inch, yeah. whatever it's four inch leader. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what drop shot weights are you using?
4: You know, here lately, whatever anybody has, um, yeah. <laughs> 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 of stuff. um, you know, I, at the dugout, they had, uh, uh Picasso's got them. I use Picasso's, uh, I prefer to use Picasso's if i can those guys are my friends uh dan and them. so uh, i do i do try to use theirs and they've always kind of been on the forefront of tungsten uh but um eagle claw i think it's eagle claw or bullet weight i think it maybe it's bullet weight it's what it's one of the brands you actually wouldn't expect but they make a I don't think it's hundred percent tungsten, but a, a tungsten version of a drop shot weight. And uh, so I use those. Uh, I typically have plenty of the Picasso, um, but that's, they have the heavier drop shot weights. I uh, golly, I was, I was drop shot a long time ago here. Uh, I did an article here in Georgia in the Georgia outdoor news about drop shotting with uh, Picasso guys back then and I, I told him I was like we need heavier weights You know, <laughs> we need this uh, and uh, I went out to California and got to drop shot on a lake golly, it was probably back in like 2000 uh, 2001 and we hadn't heard of it out here or I hadn't what well, well, lake uh, I don't remember what the name of that lake was I am not sure it was a it wasn't like a, a famous lake by any means, but we caught some, we caught a bunch of fish, you know, uh, it was not a. I don't, I guess it wasn't one of the trophy. one of those lakes where they're catching all those hammers. It may have been shoot. I don't know, but they weren't in there then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they showed me the technique and I, you know, I was like, man, I'm going to try this when I get home. And, uh, I went to Altoona with it, which is known as the dead sea. Uh, it's, it's a tough lake. Um, and me and my partner went up there, and basically, man, we we signed up for every tournament that came up Were you all some
3: of the first ones to drop shot on Altoona? Yes. Wow, yeah, I'm sure that was a big deal.
4: Yeah, yeah, we were uh, until I did that stupid article,
3: you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: think I was like uh, 20, 28, 29 years old, and I was I won that whole thing of fame, right? Uh, yeah, and bad the idea. And
2: gave it away and was like, Oh,
4: God, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, we did it there. And then uh, it was funny. Back then, Zoom uh, was running. They used to have make a bait called a meat meathead. Uh, I think they still they make made. them. But uh, they made a version for Japan that was an inch shorter. And uh, it was in natural, uh, natural light, which was not a common color for uh, a meathead to begin with um and uh they had them in a closeout bin at bass pro one day and i actually thought they were the normal head, but i was so impressed by the color i was like oh my gosh i've never seen this color i bought all they had and we didn't know about robo worms really much anything then either we were buying like people's worms and there was a lot of hand pour guys still yeah. doing real well and that's who we were buying our worms from uh i was buying benny's magic worms i don't know if you guys have ever heard of those but it heard was heard of those heard yeah anything. It was an impressive one. <laughs> that, guy, that guy's, I, you know, he made some cool stuff. Um, uh, super soft. Oh, my gosh. You know, just like it was like putting grape jelly on a hook. Yeah. Um, but the the head that they made was typical Zoom, you know, a lot of salt, stiff, not a lot of movement. And uh, we went up to Kiwi, and that's where uh, me and my partner won a really big tournament up there drop shot in an 80 foot of water and uh we came in our live well was like just mud you know it was, <laughs> and i don't know if you've ever heard of kiwi or been on it but it is gin clear uh you can see stumps at like 20 foot of depth it's amazing and everybody was like well we know where you boys have been because you know we had i think we had like 18 pounds of spots five five fish and our live well was pure mud they all thought we had ran up to the uh, dam up where the, you know, the water's coming in where the water's a little more dirty. Yeah. I was like, no, all these fish came with inside of this rank. And they're like, there's no way. And they started weighing our fish in. And, you know, they had clay caked up under their fins. And I, I think that's the first time I'd ever saw that, actually. It's funny here I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that have never seen it. And here's Adam saying, oh, they had clay on them. <laughs> but uh, it's crazy. I You know, I guess when they hibernate, they they just sit in that mud bank and kind of chill out or whatever.
0: Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, Jeez,
2: that's that's just crazy to think about. Does that whole that entire part of the conversation? Like, I'm trying to like wrap my my head around it. So just to keep me more confused on the blade bait side of it, Adam, like, what's your go-to blade bait? I
3: was using the Demiki. The is it the Vault? I think it's called Demiki oh. Vault. Um, yeah, I've been using that for a few years now. Like when I first started going to Del Hollow, I went ahead. And, you know, I I knew that lake had a reputation for a blade bait, and so I. would grabbed a few, grabbed the, the Mickey one. And, uh, it's been good. I will change the hooks out on it. Um, but that one's really good. They all work. I haven't used one that hasn't worked there. I mean, it really is like when, when, when I think of Del hollow, I I think of a blade bait, like, you know, you think of like maybe a six XD on the Tennessee river ledges, you know, certain bit, you know, throwing a trap down at Rayburn or Seminole or something like that. Like, a blade bait goes hand in hand with Del hollow so uh, that's that's why it's nothing for me to put it out there i caught it on a blade bait that ain't no news by any means but i do like that Damicy one and uh it some, some of those fish like the real active ones like you said would shoot off the bottom like you had to keep it above their heads and then the ones that were inactive you had to you know get it all the way to the bottom and work them a little bit more uh, that way but uh yeah it wasn't so much the the, the color or anything like that. They just wanted that vibration of the blade bait as opposed to the, the dead still traditional Domeki rig. Um, I don't know that I tried anything else just cause I felt like that if I, if I could get them to go on the vertical style that the, the, uh, the blade bait was getting it done just as good as anything. So in retrospect, I may have tried to throw like a little small swim bait down there on some of those same fish to try to get a call. Cause last year I had a few more bigger bites than I was getting this year, but, uh, I still feel pretty confident that I was about as best a bet as I, as I had on, on catching some. I just oh, caught too many of them and, and saw how they reacted to it. that I just couldn't put it down. Like, it was, they were into it for the most
2: part. Oh, no. I I feel you. When when something's working, like, one side of my head is like, okay, this is doing this, but it's not catching that in larger class, you know what to do. But then I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. I just want to keep catching <laughs> yeah. fish. Yeah. So, and like, like you said, man, y'all did great. You know, Tom, you ended up with a win uh, with 93 and three quarter and Adam uh, you were right behind him with 92 and three quarter. And we talked about your you know, your big, large mouth. Tom had a literal football, 20 inch Smalley <laughs> that at first glance almost looked like a cart. Like I had to look at it like, <laughs> what? Like it's so chunky. And that's, you know, I haven't caught any good small, smallmouth mouth on Del hollow It it's on the list every time we come down there it's kind of like a we take a break and a hangout and we focus on hanging out more than fishing and we usually just (laughs) limit ourselves to wherever we parked our truck like at the cabin so we fish right around eastport but i'm I'm looking forward to getting down there and really trying because it's you know hearing here in utah talk about how you know winter is the time that you're looking for your big fish i I know that uh, especially you know being friends with you riser and I just haven't like given myself some time to, to do it, but I definitely wanted to make a winter trip down there just to try something completely outside of my norm. Because I, I saw not I, do I saw and
3: heard so many anglers from this event, like they they were converted. You know, they their their eyes were open to what Del Hollow can be, even if they didn't get a limit or. All it takes is like catching a couple of those big brown fish and realizing like, oh, there's yeah. endless amounts of these fish in here. And I'm telling you, you get one good lights out day on Del Hollow and it'll become your favorite place. Like it's it's it really is special. Um, and I know that hurts the guys that have really struggled there and had multiple bad days there. But I promise you it's it's a lake that's worth uh, putting in the time. Like even if you got to strike out a little bit, you're you're going to hit a big home run there. Uh, one, one day, like I say, it, it might be my favorite lake.
4: I don't know. So. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's probably one of my favorite lakes. And uh, it was kind of interesting to hear a lot of guys talking, you know, that at the uh, check in. There were a lot of PB caught. Yes. I mean, a lot. There were so many guys, you know, whether they caught it in the tournament or up leading up to it. Yep. Um, I know so many guys I spoke with that, man, I caught a 19 and three quarter, I caught a 20, or, you know, and and I mean that's a big smallmouth. Yeah. I mean I know what a keeper is there, but a, a twenty inch smallmouth. I mean you know they're four four and a half pounds. I mean they're they're thick. They're you know they're they get airborne. Oh yeah. you, know, you, yeah.
2: know, I, you know every single one of them is a good fight too, man. It's oh, yeah. you know looking at the numbers right here. I mean there were let's see there were ninety seven people, seventy five people caught at least one. If you look at it. I bet you 80%, if not 90% of the people that fished caught at least one 18-inch fish, whether yeah. that be small or large. I mean, there were great <coughs> – f- and like you said, uh, with uh, Thomas Davis, he had uh, 10th place with four fish. I mean, one more quality fish, and we might be having a different you know guest on here. His practice
3: and his tournament, he said he didn't catch one under 18 inches. Jeez.
4: That's nuts. Well, uh, uh, <clears throat>
2: it's crazy. one last, uh, yeah, one last thing I wanted to hit on, because uh, obviously electronics is key in in how you're doing this. I'm sure you could, you. I, I know I'm lying. You probably couldn't just go out there and fall on top of them doing what you're doing. So, uh, we've kind of talked about you know the electronics you're running. What would be just a general piece of information or help that you would give anybody listening that's you know, having trouble understanding their electronics or just anything, you know, a, a tip uh, that you've learned, you know, vertical fishing on your electronics, just anything, either one of y'all would want to add to it.
3: I'd say like something that I would, what, what I try to teach a lot of my clients is uh, set your depth range to a fixed amount to where it doesn't automatically, like if you run up shallow, it doesn't automatically adjust to a, a shallower range. Like, if you're not gonna be fishing any deeper than 50 foot, just go ahead and set it at 50 foot. And uh that that way your your I don't know, almost like your aspect ratio when you go from deep, shallow, to shallow to deep, um will remain constant and allow you to make sense of uh anything that you mark, be it or fish a little bit better that way. And then uh no matter what brand you're using, mess around with your sensitivity and your contrast. So those are gonna be like your two main things to uh And luckily most of these units, their factory settings are pretty spot on. You can kind of just, uh, turn it on and it's good to go, but sensitivity contrast and then setting uh, your depth to a fixed range. Those are excellent starting points. Um, if you're trying to wrap your mind around uh, graphing deeper fishing,
2: you know, I've heard from a, a friend we both share, uh, from Trey Johnson, uh, me and Trey were talking at the shop up at music city one day and we're talking about you and electronics. And he said that y'all went fishing at his boat one day. He said he was like standing up on the front, getting ready and look back and you're over there on his graph. Yeah. He's like, and then when I sat back down, my stuff has never been that clear and able to read. (laughs) He's like, I ain't touched my settings since. (laughs) That's awesome though. That's good. Good information. Tom, you got anything to add to that?
4: Yeah. You know, I think the same way with 2D. Uh, You know, one of the things I think, adam touched on earlier uh if you turn on that amp that scope uh it it is almost like forward facing you know it's you're seeing what's coming into your beam before it actually gets there uh i used to use that trick a lot i i run garmin now um i will say that i i feel like the units that are coming off the shelf basically this year man they're so far advanced the the clarity everything we're seeing on them i mean i i go back to the days of well i I go back to the days of a flasher black and white flasher, not even color so um (laughs) if you want to try to catch fish use a flasher one time um yeah we used to do it a lot there um but uh you know these graphs now a lot of them i think a lot of it guys getting out there and having confidence um seeing some things on their graph and actually having uh, good things happen when they see those things. Right. Uh, there's so many times that people lose faith in their graph because they're like, well, you know, or so, some people can't tell brush from fish or, you know, what fish look like when they're in brush. I think those are things where, you know, if you'll just kind of pay attention to it, you know, sometimes like a kayak's actually pretty easy. Cause I mean, you're pedaling around or paddling around or whatever, looking at a graph. I mean, you get to start looking at things and when you're pre-fishing play around with the things you see and start learning what those <laughs> things are you know by either dropping a line on it or you know make a couple of cats i know it seems like a lot right but you know it's kind of like how i pick dale hollow apart you know the, the whole lake looks so daggum good but i look for key little pieces of structure so i spend a lot of time pedaling and in a bass boat that's hard you know you're sitting there going i can go 75 miles an hour i can idle all day you know, I'm yeah. going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin my ears back a little bit. I enjoy it. But, uh, you know, in a kayak, I'm forced to watch side imaging. You know, I've gone down banks that I had no idea stuff was there, even on Dale. And I've got a lot of time up there and I'm like, Good Lord, look at that, you know. Um, but if you if, if you'll catch some fish on a graph and kind of pay attention to it when you're fishing a little bit, I think, you know, confidence is key uh, in learning, you know, I think a lot of guys don't have confidence in their graph. There's so many, you know, I always hear what's your settings, stuff like that. And I'm like, man, you pull these things out of the box. They've pretty much perfected this stuff. If you think your settings are messed up, you you know, maybe just need to pay attention a little more to your graph and and watch things and get some confidence in what it's showing you. Uh, I mean, a kayak's the perfect world. Our transducers aren't, you know, buried up in a hole of a fiberglass boat or anything like that. They're, Sitting there exposed in the water, you're getting the best possible scenario of a graph that you could get. Um, you know, I use pan optics. Um, I'm I'm trying to learn it. It's uh, I see beautiful images online, and, I, and I've I've experienced those beautiful images, so I, I do know they exist. But uh, it's a tough technology. I've been reading a lot about it, but uh, that's the other thing you can do is kind of read. You know about you know, 2D sonar. Um, I still use it every time I fish. It's the one thing that is a constant on my graph. Uh, I never take it off. It's, I mean, it's it's what I call the liar, You know, um, I just I I think if guys spent the time to learn it a little better, and you know, just like I said, when you're out there fun fishing, if you see something, I mean, you're in a kayak, just slow down a little bit, throw on it drag around on it, and see what it is. I know so many guys that don't know what a brush pile looks like. Every time they see a brush pile, they're like, oh my God, look at that group of fish. Like, that's yeah.
5: It's brushed.
2: See, that's yeah. something. I had a hummingbird was the first unit I ran, and it was a few years ago, and I had tons of trouble. I could never get it to show up clear. No, it wasn't a mega unit. I actually think it was before mega units. All right. Um, but I could never get that crisp, clean picture that, I could literally go to somebody else's boat with the same unit and see. And I went to Raymarine Marine for, like you said, I went to an element nine and right out of the box, you know, it was perfect. I haven't changed anything, but I change up the colors a little bit, but right, you know, and Del-, right? And, and Del hollow holds a, a special place in my heart. As the first place I've got to use it and catch fish in deep water, seeing it on a graph, you know, first time I've had side imaging and really put it all together. I was coming down one of the creeks, and it was like 25 30 foot deep and i ran over a brush pile that was very obvious very obvious that it had fish on it then you can glance at the side and know exactly how far away it was and i threw right on top of it and caught a fish and i mean that was that aha moment like finally (laughs) (laughs) and then and then i would like to take it further you know like i love my rain marine unit you know it's it's great but I, I feel like just for me, I think Humminbird's picture is just like the mega units and the 360 imaging looks just so incredible that now that I've kind of know it a little better, I'd, I'd like to, you know, buy one and have Adam set it up basically. but <laughs>
4: <laughs> Yeah. I've, you know, I've used a lot of different graphs. Uh, I've run Humminbird, I've run Lowrance and, uh, uh, now I'm Garmin. Uh, it's funny, one of the, the biggest things I notice in, in guys with graphs, um, because I, I I've been in a lot of boats. I get in, you know, different people's boats and stuff fishing and you know, you'd see a different graph. And uh the hummingbird guys all wanna see that amber screen, you know, on side imaging. Uh Lawrence originally would have like a different color, and everybody's like, Oh, that's not clear. And I'm like, It's just as clear as yours. You just wanna see that. And I would I would hit amber and they'd all the go. Oh yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's i like, uh, you know, perception's nine tenths of the law, you know? I, I
2: think but, that's but, the whole reason I don't use amber is because that's what everybody likes. I, I'm one of those people. Like I turn mine to like green, blue. I just swap cool. it up completely.
4: You know, the guys in uh, Panoptic's world, they're all using like this green and blue. And I look at them i like, God,
2: that was like crap.
4: You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't use it. Uh, but it's a lot of that stuff, you know, like side imaging to me and the forward facing imaging definitely seems to be find a color palette that you like and have confidence in um and there's you know appeasing to you know what you're wanting to see um when well, i first everybody's
2: eyes see color different too so that's, that's yeah, true. you know you 100%. gotta play with it in my opinion because i mean like to me the amber color doesn't it, it's not i would i don't know what the right word would be like attractive to my eyes i guess i i, yeah, I find myself look. a lot of the time like really like squinting and trying. And then, the, you know, I changed it to a very bright green and everything just pops to me. So I, I can just glance and, you know, I don't have to really, really focus on it.
4: That's a popular color palette in like any of the videos you see with like, to me, like right now I've been watching a lot of Garmin and it some uh, 360 imaging. And it seems like a lot, a lot of people, that green seems to uh, do it for a lot of people on the, you know, whether the brightness and the pop and the contrast what they're seeing is so but yeah it's you know i there's you know these graphs now i mean good lord i mean i we
1: used papers at one point i mean i i remember the old paper maps man yeah. the books yeah, yeah. per state or you know half the state
4: And yeah. yeah. no, the worst thing is when you run out of paper yeah <laughs> it's like a printer all right yeah
5: Yep. You got an extra roll?
4: Yeah, and you're sitting there in a tournament trying to put a roll of paper in the grass. (laughs) Jesus, that's
5: real stuff.
2: I I love to hear about where it came from, but I'm glad we're where we are. You know, (laughs) and (laughs) then I'm 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 happy to talk to you guys that have been through it, and that's why y'all are as good as y'all are. I don't know what Brian's excuse is, but you know Tom Tom's been there and done it all, and still on top (laughs) of his game.
4: I, I think Ryan's. Uh, I mean, I think Ryan. I, I think Adams uh one of those guys that tinkers a lot, so uh,
5: he's he's
4: got a him, lot of stuff dialed in.
2: Him and and Russ are two people that you know love talking to him. But I prepare myself if I ask any kind of question. Like when we were all at Lake Fork together, I slipped up and asked Russ one question about a jerkbait, and he and 15 minutes my face was like melted from the information that i just took in <laughs> just like i didn't know what i was getting into apparently never mind i don't want to throw a jerk bait <laughs> Like, <laughs> and adam's the same way man he'll you know just talking with you adam you've we, you've called me when i've been on the water we've talking about you know places we're gonna fish and he can talk you through little things that you might just have missed just like little bitty teeny pieces of information
4: and that's you guys the- need to do a uh, podcast we need to do one adam on uh, buzz baits
2: yeah, I'd be all about that. I don't want <laughs> yeah. to do it right
3: now because it'll make me miss. You know, I, don't, I can't pick up a buzz bait for months and months, so <laughs> right. it may hurt me to do it right now. Too I don't much, know you
4: you, I'm not so sure you couldn't have thrown one this past
3: weekend. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty. I don't care, even though we just had like cold weather come through, I'm still pretty convinced you could at least get a smallmouth topwater bite on the hollow right now. Like, <laughs> it's crazy as that sounds. I think they'd still go for it.
2: Oh, I know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm making a trip. <laughs> I'm coming to Nashville Saturday anyway, so I might as well just bring my boat All right. just keep driving. So Adam's
1: Guide Service is open for business if you want so to book my appointment. There you, you go. Thank you, Brian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> little shameless plug there. Well, uh, we've kept y'all for a little over an hour, man. I, I appreciate it so much. Y'all come to, uh to tell us about this. Uh, and we really got into it on this, you know, Like, like I said, going into it, winter fishing gets overlooked by so many people, especially if they're new coming into it, you know, didn't grow up, you know, bass fishing or fishing at all. So uh, I appreciate y'all having so much insight on everything and especially on Del Hollow. Y'all both sound like you have, you know, killer history there. Um, But we like to let everybody think, you know, whoever makes fishing, you know, easy for them or any sponsors you have before we go. So, uh, Adam, if you want to go ahead and take it away, who, who makes it good for you?
3: sure uh congrats again to tom tom i've got the uh text on my phone to prove this but uh people were reaching out to him before the tournament being like hey are you gonna win it or you know what's it like out there and i'm like i gotta i gotta beat tom Kazmirski first like I, <laughs> you know when i saw when i saw that you put up uh on the dugout monthly those fish from practice i was like well i for sure like tom's fish are back there again so i was like i still gotta beat this guy and I was like, man, I'll just go all on a large largemouth. But it's been fun, Tom, uh, going up against you this year, like in these handful of events, man. It's, uh, oh, yeah.
5: it's
3: making me want to fish hard and, and fish better, too. And I got a lot of respect for you and your history of bass fishing. So that's been fun. Um, thanks to uh, Dugout. Um, cool to uh, do this the podcast with my Dugout teammate Tom here. Um, Dugout Dakota's been huge for me this year. Uh, the, those two really been just big players for me. Um, I'll do a shameless plug and just say this is my favorite time of year to do those electronics guide trips whether it's uh, around the national area or running out to del hollow so guys that want to get those graph styles in or just catch fish in general like holler at me there is no better time to uh you know gain a lot of ground on on uh, the electronics thing than during the winter like this when you don't have all the pleasure boaters and you know if you can just dress warm you can get out there and, and learn a lot in a hurry on that
2: Paddle yeah, well, Finn supports that message. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I look forward to seeing you guys
3: down there. It sounds like in the spring too, so I'll thank you guys as well.
2: Heck yeah! Well, what about you, Tom? Who who makes it good for you?
4: Uh, you know, I'm, like like I said, it's it's good to be here with a dugout teammate. But uh, you know, dugout bait and tackle; those guys take care of me. They're lifelong friends I've had. I grew up amongst those guys. Seagar. Uh, my favorite line about the only line i throw now have for years um you know and then uh I, you know i don't have any real sponsors other than that i uh i like dakota lithium batteries they get me where i'm going uh, <laughs> i got a Newport power vessel on my kayak now that i love nice. um big fan of that little motor um man is that thing's a little workhorse and
2: uh, I've not, been asking everybody that's running it what's your battery setup for that
4: so um, and I'm going to change um, but my battery setup right now is currently two 12 volt uh, 54 amp hour Dakota lithium I will say this uh, I was running in practice probably eight to nine miles uh, wide open trying to kill it and I was still coming in with half battery life wow yeah. And the only thing I don't like about my setup right now is I'm also running my graphs off one of those batteries, um, mm-hmm. uh, and just heads up to people out there. This, this is a known thing in bass boat world. And I am smarter than this. Uh, but 24 volt batteries from Dakota right now are a little hard to come by, but, um, you definitely need separate batteries, uh, because, uh, you get interference and, and you don't get to see when you're zooming around, all the graphing that I could be doing, it's a lot harder. I have to slow way down to do it. And technically when you're side imaging, you know, like two to three miles an hour is a really good speed.
2: So you got eight to nine miles and you're running panoptics, you 100%, know, I know crazy. everything. Wow. Yeah, dude, that's awesome.
4: Yeah, and people that don't that don't know Garmin or Panoptics, uh, it is a battery hog. It'll oh yeah. Jeez. Yeah, okay. That thing's sucking some juice, man. Um you know, but I plan on changing that. Jamie and I were actually talking about it uh, yesterday. I was like, I said, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta fix this. This is uh, not the way I want it, I want it run. I want to be able to have my graphs and stuff separate. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, before we go here, man. Big thanks to Steve and Daniel, Steve Owens. Yes, man. Good Lord, and I know Adam feels the same way. These guys put a. lot – man, they have a lot of heart. Uh, you know, they want big things for the anglers. These guys are like selfless people out there just trying to do great things for the sport of kayak fishing. Uh, and coming from the boater world, I've seen, I've seen people do this before tournament directors have that kind of heart, uh, and make big things out of trails. Um, So, you know, I mean, what those guys did and the sponsors, they've been able to go and gather up and, uh, you know, it makes it to where everybody kind of gets to walk away with something or has a good chance of walking away with something. Uh, I mean, a lot of guys walked away with SLX rods from the dugout. Uh, I think Dakota Lithium. Gave away a couple of batteries. Netbait gave away a pile of like really cool baits, some of the NHT series, the NTH series, like the crush worms and stuff, which if you want to play around with the drop shot, that worms smoking hot. <laughs> um, you know, uh trying to think of who all you know, Carl Black's doing like a huge pot of money for the big fish. Uh Newport's giving away a motor, I think at the end of the year or something, an AOI. I mean just check out all the sponsors and what they're doing. Uh, I mean, obviously it's, to me, it's a big deal. Um, you know, Seagar gave away, golly, I don't know. There was probably 10 or 15 spools of line given away, you know? And
2: Steve has know. a way he has his way with sponsors and, he does, you know, man. and he, I, mean, I
4: asked the guy, I said, you got a job or is this it? I mean, <laughs> how much is stuff? Yeah. you know, and he's not getting paid anything. Right. I mean, so, you know, I mean, Tournament directors that go out there and do that kind of stuff, man, you know. And I think the cool thing is, is like when um uh, something I've seen in kayak fishing that I really like. Uh, unfortunately I didn't double dip. I wish I would have. But um, you know, these kind of like a, a local club or whatever it is, kind of scheduling an event on the same date or there's two events kind of running simultaneously to where the anglers can double dip. And I I think it tightens up the community and bringing in more anglers together. You know, guys that uh, I've never met, got to meet and hang out with, uh, you know, make some new friends and stuff like that. I mean, at the end of the day, man, you know, I I still got a day job. I'm not making a living at this. So I take a lot of value in meeting cool people uh, like Adam. Uh, Now I'm getting to meet you guys. Uh, Adam and I hung out down at Seminole at Hobie. Um, I mean – to me that's what it's all about and kind of, kind of makes the, it makes it fun even on the tough days
2: <laughs> for sure. Well, again, guys, we appreciate you coming on. I think, I think we've killed it on this episode. You know, I'm sure we could get into even more cause I still have so many <laughs> questions on Del Hollow, but that might be, you know, we're, this is our last show before the break. So we're going to get to recording some stuff. So, you know, uh, we may be hitting you guys up for, for an additional show for something, you know, along the lines of, you know vertical fishing or graphing or whatever but uh we do appreciate you and just like always you know big shout out to everybody that makes kayak fishing so great like y'all said and uh congrats again for a killer event and we will i'm sure we'll see y'all soon uh i I guarantee to see these two names at the top of a list somewhere but uh we appreciate it guys and we'll catch up with you you know soon hopefully
0: thanks a bunch y'all thank you guys. guys
2: All right. Love having those guys on, man. That was way more informational than I was ready for, but very, very excited about it. Well, yeah. uh, we kind of hit on it just for a second. Uh, Brian, uh, you ready to talk about us going back to pa- uh, Do Hollow yet?
1: Yeah, we'll be there uh, beginning of April. Um, we're going to have a tournament again, two days, uh, Saturday, Sunday. I believe that's April 2nd and 3rd, correct?
2: Yeah, first weekend of April, I'm pretty sure. And And then uh, uh, we're doing the little joint event with the uh, Central Tennessee Kayak Anglers CTKA. Um, He's kind of been fishing around with the schedule to make it not overlap any of the other... Because Tennessee's got like 12 clubs. Right. So uh, he did his best to help pick a date where none of that overlapping is going to happen. So that uh, hopefully we can... Start, you know, pumping the info out on this, and get all these Tennessee clubs to show up, and just have a complete slugfest at Del Hollow in April. And I guarantee you, we'll see these two guys we just had on here at that. So yeah, and it'll be an open event.
1: Y'all. It'll be an open event too. So if you're not even from Tennessee and you want to come down, um, you know, it's. Uh, I know some of the Georgia boys that were down last year want to come back up. Um and a few of the Illinois guys that had turned out you know awesome days. Same with the Ohio guys. So I know I've been getting messages nonstop about hey, are we going back to Dale Hollow Eastport Same. Marina? Um, we're working with them again, so we'll have the beautiful venue that we had last year. Um, I know we're already working on some some bonus items, which we gave a ton of stuff away last year down there as well i know adam uh one he took a kayak and uh he ended up doing the old switcheroo with the other guy that took second because he wanted the f10 the other guy wanted the f12 um <laughs> I forgot so about that. Yeah, so I mean, we gave away three kayaks last year, um, so I'm sure um, there's going to be a kayak or two up for grabs. And man, like it'll that. be
2: worth it. That's all you got to say. We'll have some, you know, great support from our sponsors. Esport always does a great job taking care of everybody. Uh, you know, uh, the the barn. If you you know you didn't get to hang out with us last year, you can go back and look at the pictures. the 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 little venue up there is just freaking awesome. Real, real, real way way too classy for us but very very nice
1: yeah we got the we got the date set uh we're starting to hammer out all the fine details um you know i know last year like we had live music we had dinner saturday night um which the folks down there at the restaurant at the marina did a phenomenal job i know i thought i was gonna have a heart attack going back to the house because i ate so much (laughs) like i mean just just a great great time, beautiful venue, awesome food, awesome people. Uh, all the anglers that come out, um, you know, had an awesome time. And I, like I said, everybody's asking me, is this happening again? And obviously the answer is yes. We said it, we were going to do it again. So, um, you know, for those listening, I'd say just be on the lookout for the details. Um, they're getting hammered out, but the, the actual dates of, uh, second and third, um, you know, are definitely set in stone um now it's just a matter of you know format things like that and uh entry fees blah 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 you know all the five fine... hundred
2: dollar entry fees no, <laughs> totally kidding i won't even fish it at that point
1: yeah yeah i mean at that point you might as well write a check to adam riser and just hand it <laughs> oh away. yeah
2: you pump it up him and tom are going to show up so yeah right they'll just they'll just split the money
1: yeah exactly 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 so well, no, yeah. it will be fun, man. Um, looking forward to it. I'm sure uh, by the time we come back from break, we'll have all the info hammered out, and you know we could talk about it. Um, on the show here for sure.
2: Yeah, we'll uh we'll we'll definitely once we get the rest of the details hammered out, you'll start seeing a graphic, you know, made up. We'll share the heck out of it. Yeah. You know, we're I'm gonna challenge my buddy that runs CTK to just. Make the state at least make his state show up for it. So you'll be seeing that a lot once we get it out. But, uh, yeah, that's it, man. You got anything else, B?
1: No, man. Uh, just, uh, I know during the break, we're still going to have a few OG live shows on Thursdays. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I know we're going to do like a special Christmas episode the week, week of Christmas that Thursday. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's basically it.
2: Well, heck yeah. Well, uh, we'll see everybody. Oh, Lord. when When is our coming back? Uh, the first
1: week of January, so your next show will be January 5th going
2: live. We'll see you January 5th, everybody. Take us out, Brian.
1: Peace out, Girl Scouts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's the new closer for the real day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on
1: Paddle and Fin. and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the
2: jig out. Go to jig. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing
0: that I know